I didn't say people were going to worship us. It's I just want them to hail us. <laughs> you mean like hailing like uh, like Star Trek? No. Hail Captain Picard. Let's speak to him immediately. All right, now you've gone too far. <laughs> now you'd like try to make fun of me, but it's like mixed up inside a thing. It's too much. You're crazy. Cinematic community. Information overload. I might have to just run out of the room and leave a big Kool-Aid manhole on the wall. Cinematic Cinematic community. You tell people not to swear in the mic around. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a good point. Right? You know, I have no problem with you telling people that. That seems like an important safety tip. Just been revoked. The art and craft of movie making, the stories that define it. Welcome to Cinematic Community. I'm your host, Louis Normandon. With me is podcast producer, co-host, and personal friend, Brian Hart. No, I'm just kidding about that personal friend part. Hey. <laughs> Not at all. Oh, I was expecting some lashback. No, I'm just going to sit over here and, you know, think quietly about everything I've done wrong in my life. Thanks. <laughs> we talked to one Ken Hastings. From New Jersey, the Devil's Den. Talked about Orlando and how one film was made there. One film, Olive Juice. We talked about Los Angeles and how one writes for movies. We learned about his experience uh, with the Tom Green Show and uh, what it takes uh, to secure the rights for clips of uh, movies, feature films, and television, and uh, what, uh, what they want for that. Of course, we talked about his 158-episode podcast. Two Guys in a Mic. Which um, we envy, seeing as how we're only up to uh, about episode 30 by the time this comes out. We hope to, uh, to get to 158 episodes ourselves. Without Although killing each other. pace, that's uh, three years away. And the hell with that, ladies and gentlemen. The <laughs> hell with that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what we will say is with your ongoing support, we really appreciate uh, you helping Cinematic Community grow. No, even with that, I'm not sure it's going to be three years. But whatever, you know, like, yeah, he's saying it nicely. <laughs> so what we're trying to do is to get everybody to tune in and uh, get everybody's support so that we can keep doing these. We are trying to uh, get more guests and record more and have a good time while we're doing it. We're both trying to manage uh, all these podcasts inside of our work schedules and and we're all turning it out and doing what we can and, and uh, Cinematic Community is growing. If you want to see what we're up to, you can check us out on the website, on the blog. Um, so you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And um, we really appreciate you being part of the team. So thank you so much for tuning into Cinematic Community. We hope you enjoy this episode with Ken Hastings. But once I got past those little teenage jobs and we moved to Florida, I got a job as a lip sync DJ when I was 18 or 19. And ever since then, I've never had a job where I didn't have to talk on a microphone. Never. It's like, just, I mean, and it's so weird how foreign it is to well, some when people. when you're lip syncing, it's just a prop. Yeah, it, it, it is a prop, right? It's, it's a, not even connected to it's anything. It's such a keen observation on your point. <laughs> Warm-up exercise for a career to come. But there was, there was a little stage in front of the DJ booth, and that's where the prop microphone was. Mm. And then back in the DJ booth, we had one hardwired. 
So that you knew where the real mic microphone. was. You weren't allowed to use it. Oh, I, I was allowed to use it, it. I had to make announcements and oh, do like okay. last call and hey, oh. the happy hour buffet is open. And yeah, I saw that video of you rocking some Billy Joel and yeah. uh, you put up something about a month I, ago. It's almost like embarrassing. Like there should be some sort of memoir, like the confessions of a lip sync DJ because I was a lip sync DJ literally for 15 years. That's a long time. 15 years. Nobody lip syncs like, like you do. I, I was on, well, I blame my mother because my mom took, dragged me into this nightclub in, in Fort Lauderdale called Cadillac Jacks when I was uh, 18 or 19, right around there. I don't have an exact date, but it was right in that, in that wheelhouse. And um, I was on, uh, I did a bunch of lip sync contests in high school. My mom would take me to nightclubs in the Philadelphia area and sign waivers to make sure I didn't drink and all this stuff. So she's like, oh, let's go see if we can get you a job down there at Cadillac Jacks. They have lip sync DJs. I was in there with my company and during happy hour and people were lip syncing. You'd love it. That's so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll go in there. And I met the manager and I told him what I've done and, and stuff that I, you know, uh, you know, just lip sync stuff that I'd done. Who has lip syncing on the resume? I did. And uh, he hired me. And, and after that, I, I worked in a couple different nightclubs in South Florida. Then Pleasure Island hired me because of that. And then, then at, that added another 10 years to it. So I was literally doing it for 15 years, not just DJing, but starting the record and jumping up on a stage, doing the song, jumping back down, changing the record, another DJ doing it. Was, it yeah. By the time I met you, you were just DJing, though. You were the, the DJing guy. Well, in, at Pleasure Island, there were a couple different clubs. Like, there was only one particular nightclub where we lip-synced, and that was um, Rock and Roll Beach Club, and it is lip-synced. It's not lip-sync. Oh, oh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get trouble with the union or anything. Um, but eight tracks is what you're talking about. You right. used to you used to come into eight tracks where I'm we. I'm down with '80s music. Where we and '70s, we did all the the retro. Fun I used to stuff. keep the ladies away from you. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't remember that part. I was just thinking about a strike with uh, with with act, like lip syncing political activists or lip syncing union members <laughs> would probably be a very quiet one. <laughs> If a whole bunch of people strike, you know, lip sync, lip sync union members strike for right. cinematic immunity, we could still record and they could be right next door. That's a very good point, right Lois. They'd probably put together like an angry montage of stuff and then lip sync to it. So it would still be loud. Right. You had the tie in film somehow because people tuning into this podcast are like, what does this have anything to do with the film community? We're going to get around <laughs> to your film work, Ken. <laughs> no, we're, I'm not, I'm not we're, trying to. We're I'm building not a foundation of Hastings. I'm not coaxing you into that direction. I'm just, I, I, I felt bad that we were rambling about lip syncing. It has nothing to do with what you guys talk about. You're giving us your character. You're hmm. laying the groundwork for the <laughs> booyah base oh. that is you. Oh, yeah. I, I do apologize for derailing, like 100% derailing that conversation. So thanks for going along with it. Mm -mm. Mm. At some point, no, during your lip-sanking, um, See, now that's improper. That's, that's just, that's just You can't that's just say lip-sanking. That lip doesn't Lip-sank is... You must have been writing. During wow. some of that time. Such a smooth transition. Were you writing, perhaps, during yeah. any of that time? <laughs> I was. I was indeed. What kind of things were you, uh, were you writing, Mr. Ken? Speaking of A-Tracks, there was a, uh, a girl that I had a pretty, um, I had a pretty serious relationship with. Um, and we, it was like one of those sky's the limit relationships. And her mom took ill. And 
the whole relationship went south after that. It was like girl in mid twenties dealing dealing with mom dying and and uh, it kind of like went off the rails and everything. So it was a tough breakup for me. So I ended up sitting down and writing a script, and and out of that came a script called Olive Juice. Olive Juice. That sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, God. Why was someone in this room? Uh, an assistant AD on that film? No, I don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that 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 film uh, came out of that relationship, and and I had a couple buddies who I was kind of like the person that did not go to film school. I was the person that just loved movies, and I know it's kind of very Tarantino-ish to say that, but I wasn't the guy that went to NYU. But I had two good friends who went to NYU. And uh, they were film grads. They were, you know, full-blooded violets from NYU. That's their Tell the part of the story that even I don't know. Like, what was their fundraising process? How did they... What were the initial building blocks? Well, they were uh, the initial building blocks. Wow. They were, to give you a little background on them, they're identical twins. They were... You can uh, say it, their names. They're... Internationally. I'm, I'm about to. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm ramping up to like, it. Don't say their names. I'm like giving them like this worthy introduction as oh. if they're in the room with us. Oh. Uh, they, they were international. Wait for it, Lewis. I, I see you laughing over there. <laughs> he just doesn't wait. know any of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching, telling you right now. I'm he watching has no the idea. wind up and it's just cracking me up already. Go on. They were international juggling champions. Oh, Okay. All okay. right. They were I incredible. Like they do it on set sometimes. It's like using crazy objects. Yeah. And who happened to have like an NYU degree? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so did they we, learn the juggling at at Tish? I don't. I don't know if they did. No, they they did not. I think it was before there, that. There are some very well educated magicians and and juggling technicians out there as well. Yes, absolutely. So we we all lived in the same apartment complex, and we decided to start trying to fund this film, Olive Juice. And uh, it, 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 I mean, this was pre-social media. This was pre-Kickstarter campaigns. This was, we were doing mail-outs. We were doing like e- mass emails to people, just trying. We had these little postcards that we were like requesting donations. We even went to, I, and I don't even know if you were involved with us then, but we even went to like the fair, and bought a booth at the fair, and we, we sat down and tried to get donations that way. And we gave stuff away, like little prizes, like little olive juice T-shirts. We already had like merchandise for the movie. That's, yeah, yeah. Before we had anything, so it wasn't like we could just hop on Twitter and go, "Hey, who wants to donate to my film?" Here's a little trailer. Do you remember yeah, no, what no. you raised? <laughs> Not enough to even like maybe a thousand dollars that way. Well, no, I mean overall. Do you remember what the budget for the show was? Oh, the budget we it, it was a hundred thousand. It was a hundred thousand dollars. We did I the whole thing for that. No, that was good pre-pro. No, we did a lot of, um, we were about to give up, we were about to throw in the towel, and then all of a sudden, uh, a real estate deal went through with a very close relative of theirs, and he didn't need the money. We were like, and they're like, he's offering it to us to make the film, and I'm like, are you kidding me? We were just about to just give it up, and then we were off and running. Then we I, I would have guessed 200 or 250 uh, from my point of view, but that's interesting, 100000 But they did a really great pre-pro. I learned a lot of lessons on olive juice. Well, I'll tell my part of the story. Yeah, So ahead. I finish up a movie in Mobile, Alabama. Lewis, can we get us some coffee or something? No, I'm on it. 
<laughs> we wrap that show. All, the Sorry, entire cast good. and crew goes to New Orleans to party. Mm-hmm. I drive 11 hours back to meet you people. Really? To, uh, to interview to the, for the second AD position. I had just finished the show as a second AD, and I, I came 11 hours back, right out of the car, ran into the room. I was like three minutes early. And you guys hired me on the spot because you're like, I'm sorry, you drove 11 hours to come to this interview. <laughs> you really want to be on this film. And uh, the, the, the site visits and stuff for the next day. So I, I, I was there right before we started shooting. So I, that's why I remember no, none of the pre-pro. For, right. But uh, I learned how important pre-pro was because we had known ahead of time there was like a date circled, like every location was pre-proed to the hilt. We were extremely this professional. We we did not miss a beat in pre-pro. We knew everything was going to be cool until this one day when we went to like the it was like the house that everyone had to wear the little booties in. If you remember, <laughs> yeah, oh, and yeah. Then the hotel was right after in that. College Park. Those were like the ones that this is all in Orlando, Florida. Those were the days that we had not pre-proed, so we knew they were going to be rough. And it was the show went so brilliantly for the first like three and a half weeks, and then it was like this last half week of chaos. And uh, that's when I learned how important pre-pro was. Was that when we shot the ten-page day in that final? Yes, week? yes, that was that was our mm-hmm. last day. Our final day was the hardest day of the shoot, which is the pet shop, odd, the pet store, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was uh, it was an interesting time. You were the we, writer and director. You didn't mention you were the director of the show, yeah? I, I did. I did direct it, and I and I wrote the script. Yeah, I had it was interesting. It was first time directors. It was a first time director, and you were like the 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 moment those words came out of my mouth, you looked like you know you just saw a ghost. Well, because I just like got beat up on my last show with a first time director, and and what that was, and then it was coming here. But I didn't beat you up, did I? Did no, I beat no. you up? And what was great about the show is like like two days after the show, you called me and you were like, we 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 should go out and have lunch because I want to thank you and just tell you what a great job you did. And it was so cool. You remember we went to, went to like New York uh, Pizza or what was it? Like the NYPD Pizza. That's right. And I was like, this is good pizza. And you were like, you did a great job on the show. And I, f- I felt I felt 100 feet tall. And then I promptly quit the oh, you, film business. Well, you you, uh, you telling that story is awfully creepy because you're making it sound like I hit on you. It was like... You weren't hitting on me. <laughs> this is great but, pizza. But you this did. is really job. good pizza. Hey, fr- can you take your shirt off? I was one of few people you didn't know before the show, I'm guessing, because it was all like your friends and their friends and everything else. No, I, you know, Orlando was an interesting, you know, was, was supposed to be Hollywood East. Back then, that's and when they were still when, pimping it. When, when you, um, this is what ninety five to ninety. No, like this 99. the end of ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, December of ninety nine. Okay, yeah, that would sound right. They shut down um, Disney, shut down their stages right around two thousand, and then I think uh, things were heading south after that because before so it was they, Hollywood South. Uh, yeah, we, well, yeah, exactly, Hollywood <laughs> South. Um, but they would have everybody come in from New York. Uh, during the summertime for, or I'm sorry, during the wintertime because mm-hmm. it was too cold to shoot in New York for a lot of producers. So they would go down to Florida and do their commercials in Florida during the wintertime. So Orlando was always able to work. Um, but I think after 2003, especially after Louisiana opened up their film market, it became a lot harder to work in, in Orlando. Yeah. I mean, Orlando was, uh, you know, you, you have a great day of weather until around three o'clock in the afternoon. And then yeah. it pours for half hour. <laughs> that's, and that's fine. That's beautiful again. Then you yeah. call lunch, you know? Yeah, And, that's and true. everybody gets uh, an hour for lunch. All right, everybody. And then the rain clears. I don't remember yeah. us having weather problems on a show. The other big lesson was when you have Backstreet Boys on a show, you have security problems. I think it would be worse today with Twitter and all the nonsense. We, we oh didn't have to gosh. deal with any of that. But we had... 
We had I security issues that. whenever we had the uh, the Backstreet Boys with us. I, we saw three of them, didn't we? Did we not? You know, it's a mystery how their fans even knew when they were going to be on a set. Because there was no social presence. Right. We weren't like, we're in blah, blah, no. blah today. We're at this street. We had club our shoot or- schedule. I don't, they, it's not like they were posting it anywhere. Yeah. They just kind of knew. <laughs> they just knew and they showed up. It was so weird. We had, um, you're looking at me like you're totally no, puzzled. I'm, no, I'm not. I mean, somebody pays somebody off, who knows, and then, uh, you know, 10,000 people show up. That seems to be appropriate. <laughs> it, it, at the height of Backstreet Boys stardom, uh, we landed Brian Luttrell and AJ McLean, two of the Backstreet Boys, to do cameos in the film. And we... Like when they showed up, like they were on separate days, they had separate scenes. Um, but I remember the one was outside that that pet shop. Right. There was a guy, when, he, he was walking over to all of the trailers, and like Wardrobe and I were hanging out in a trailer, and Cynthia and the guy opened the door, and he was like, Is Brian here? <laughs> and I guess people were like, well, you must mean Brian Hart, the second AD. Absolutely, oh, he he's is. over there. But they didn't mean him. He didn't mean Brian Hart. He uh, meant, no. uh, was, there was a guy, wasn't one of the... You show uh, up, you're like, I want it that way. And he was like, is Brian here? And, and we were like, well, I'm Brian. And he was like, I don't mean you. And it was, it was we, had a, we had a few security snafus, because it wasn't a big staff. It wasn't like I could keep people... Yeah, we had like we, we had this intersection locked down by this pet shop. Okay, mm-hmm. we had we had the pet shop on one corner. We had a little uh, little craft services set up on the other corner. We had a, a tent set up near the other corner, and the other corner looked like the outside of TRL. Yeah, <laughs> with like thirteen year old girls screaming with posters. We would have to tell them the, the quiet down. It's like, but please, please, please be quiet. We're trying to shoot. Like, be quiet for five minutes, and then you can scream all you want. Yeah, it was a pain was a lot for a whole hour. And then, you know, once you realize that it helps you get some sort of distribution with your movie, and you're like, okay, that, that was that was worth it. <laughs> and then what was the other, what was the um, Firebrand or Firestone or what was the nightclub where we did the... Di- Firestone. Firestone. The Firestone. We had AJ that day, and mm-hmm. it was another. There was this sort of thing happened again. The extras were like, "We want to play with him." We were like, "We need you to be extras and be quiet." And yeah, just and work we saw, with us. We saw the, the young ones outside that you know we couldn't have as extras because they looked like they were you know. We had to exit mm-hmm. a few people, right? Cynthia was like, "I don't think you'd be in a nightclub. We need you to wait outside." <laughs> Cynthia Nordstrom, our costume designer, and by the way, the, the two people I, I didn't even mention their names after all of that build up: Alex and Nick Carvunas. There you go. Um, very, very, very different talents. One is a Nick is is very much a business uh, production. He was our producer. Knowledge, yeah, he was our producer, and and Alex was our our DP. He's the one with the eye and and that sort of flair. So it worked out really well. It's a good show. It was a good show. <laughs> and then I promptly quit the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> it made you, it didn't make you. Quit I'm the going film. back to theater. Going back to New York. Bye, everybody. It was just uh, you know the Orlando scene was just kind of interesting um, at that time. It was kind of. Um, I, I thought wanna... there was going to be more film work. There wasn't. I, I survived on convention work, all the AV stuff. I don't want to throw Orlando under the under the bus. Neither Look, we've all lived in Orlando. Uh, I think we can throw it under the bus a little bit for film well, work. No fil- film well, work did not it, come to Orlando. Well, it's it's true that a lot of it went a lot of it went away, but also you know it also has a whole bunch of film schools that still have like people going into the industry from Orlando. So you've got a lot to contend with out there. Yeah. It's, it's not just 
you know, it's not just um, ju not just film work. There are conventions. There are a lot of theaters. There's a lot of like a whole bunch of work. Um, but specifically, it just became uh, it, it kind of hit its mark, and then I think a lot of the infrastructure kind of kind of left. Yeah, I would agree with that. So there was uh, one of the weekends on that show. You came in, I, was, I think it was like a Monday morning. Now, first off, if you don't know Ken, he's about three feet tall. But this day he came in, he was 10 feet tall. He had swagger. Five, eight, he five, was eight. like, I am the man. And we were like, what's going I think on, I know Ken? I think I know where you're going with this. And he's like, Elizabeth Hurley was on my answering machine this weekend. Did that happen And we were during... like, tell us why she's on the other phone. And you were like, I can't yet. I'm under an NDA or something. There was it got dragged out for a while. Like you couldn't tell people what it was about yet. Did that uh, did that happen on? I thought the it set? happened on the show. No, the, I think the Elizabeth Hurley stuff happened later. Was it a little bit later. What 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 took place was I was um, prior to Olive Juice going into production. I entered uh, final drafts, big break, screenwriting competition. Nice. And it was their very first one, like the very first 99, the same year. And, uh, and I found out that I won on the set of Olive Juice. So we were, you guys were busy setting up a sh like shots and stuff, and I'm You're strutting. sitting over on a curb <laughs> <laughs> on my cell phone talking to this guy saying, yeah, we're going to pick your script. This is the top script. And I'm like, geez, I don't know if casting became a part of it during... The shooting of Olive Juice. If they can, if maybe we were that was a it was a close group, and we did hung, hang out a bunch of times afterwards. So maybe it was one of those times where like there was a bunch of us hanging out, and that's why I'm thinking of it. That it, it was with that group. Yeah, it might have been afterwards, but because uh, I don't recall the movie, like because it took a little while after finding out that I won until the, finding out that the movie was going to go into production. There was a, quite a bit of a window there, and it, it ended up getting shot with Elizabeth Hurley and, and Dennis Leary. It was called Dog then, but it, it was would have a, a different title later. Yeah, it, they, they used Bad Boy overseas because the, the slang dog doesn't really translate in other countries. Yeah, They don't know that that means a male slut. Well, tell us about Dog, kind of that, uh, since that was the next step for you in the film ladder. Yeah, I, uh, first step, second step, I guess, yeah, it ended up being the second step. Um, I saw that they were having this first contest. I had just over a month to write the script and FedExed it the day before the deadline. I, I wrote it in 30 days. Did the fastest typo check I think I've ever done in my hmm. entire life. Yeah. I just, all I wanted to make, I just made sure that the, you know, the first 30 pages were solid. The story was intact. Sealed it up in a FedEx envelope and shot it out there. Then I started getting calls saying I was in the, the final 100, I was in the final 20, and then ended up finding out that I won. Um, but uh, it was an edgy sex comedy, uh, and it went into production, like I said, with Dennis and Liz. And I got to do some cool stuff. Like They were really good to me. Uh, it was one of Gold Circle Films' first projects. It was prior to my big fat Greek wedding. That's when Gold Circle blew up and was one of their first little babies and, and I got to fly out here and feel like a big shot and sit in on some creative meetings and and I ended up meeting Elizabeth Hurley <laughs> on the set and she is far more beautiful in person than she is in She's print. Lovely. 
I've, I've worked with her as well on. Um, Isn't she radiant? Wonder Woman. Uh, absolutely amazing. She's yeah. She's incredible in person. Don't underplay it. <laughs> well, she's incredibly gorgeous. <laughs> Uh, she's no, she's, but she she bonded with me, and it was it made it uncomfortable because I had a live-in girlfriend back in Orlando at the time, and she didn't bond with me and like uh, I want to have your baby sort of way. It was just a, you know, I want a, a funny writer to look at some scripts. She wasn't, she was no longer married to Hugh, but she was still working with Hugh under their uh, film. Uh, production company called Simeon at the time. And so she started like calling me in Orlando, <laughs> leaving voicemails for me in Orlando. And I'd come home from like work or something. And my, my girlfriend would be like, uh, yeah, there's a voicemail <laughs> on the, wasn't even voicemail then. It was like, there's a message for you on the answering machine. I'm like, Oh, well, let me check it out. Hello, Ken. Hello, oh, good gumdrops, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she'd like go on and on, and, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah. She, and she called me in the crapper once, too, and that was a very funny moment. <laughs> That's a good phone call, no matter what she's saying. And she busted me on it. She knew instantly that I was in the bathroom. I knew she was going to be calling. I took the phone into the bathroom, set it there. I'm like, what are the odds that Elizabeth Hurley calls me in the five minutes that I'm in this bathroom? At the mo- at but the she's most- acoustic and crafty. <laughs> that's a Beastie Boy song, I think. And uh, literally in that tiny little window at the most inopportune time, she calls. And I'm like, is this Ken? I'm like, yeah. How you doing, Liz? And right, oh, that's all I had to say. Are you on and the crapper? No, she goes, are you in the loo? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, I can't, I can't lie, Liz. I am actually in the loo. So, and then the, the, sad, the sad ending to that whole thing is that... Dog ended up testing poorly. They had a first-time film director on Dog as well. It was not me. Um, it was a, a lady by the name of Victoria Hochberg. And she did some stuff on Melrose Place and Sex in the City, but she never did a feature. And it tested poorly. And the second it tested poorly, guess what happened? They lost interest? No more phone calls from Liz. She lost interest. Mm. Boom. Just like that. It's a sad Hollywood story, I know. Oh. Well, it goes to say with that old Dennis Leary curse, you know, like you ever see the roast of Dennis Leary, those guys that roasted him being like, no. man, every movie you ever made, two if by C, Operation Dumbo Drop, like what happened to you? <laughs> you know? Oh, I'm sorry, man. That's that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm always, I've always been a big Dennis Leary fan myself, but uh, that is an unfortunate part of it, man. I'm really sorry to hear that. He's done some great movies, though, he, hasn't he? he? Over the years, yes. Um, Judgment Night. He's not more for his the ref TV work. The no, ref is great. I'm um, I'm struggling to think of a couple more. He was in Demolition Man. Demolition Man. And he's pretty good in that. Demolition Man. He's, he's the leader of the uh, anarchists. He's finding a nice little spot now as you know second fiddle, like playing some really good juicy parts. Like he was just in Draft Day and uh, some other good things. Yeah, draft Spider-Man. day. Spider Man. I wanted Draft Day to be so good. Wasn't he in Spider Man? Yes, he was. Yeah, he in was. The new, uh, uh, Mary Jane's daughter, uh, father, father or, yeah. uh, was it? I don't know if it was Mary, mm-hmm. but whatever. Yeah. The, yeah. The, so the so either they ruined my career or I ruined their careers because right now <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know what the, what the story is, but you know, you got Dennis Leary and uh, you got Liz Hurley. You go to her website and I kid you not, you go to her website, you click on one side if you want to buy swimwear 
and you click on the other side if you want to buy organic beef jerky. <laughs> wow. Which is odd because if you're eating the organic beef jerky, you're probably not going to fit in the in the swimwear. I, who knows? I mean, it's an either or proposition. Yeah, they have photos. She probably doesn't sell to both. Right. To they, a lot of people. They have photos of both, but they don't have photos of both things combined. Like yeah. a girl in a bikini, like just chomping down on the pool. Yeah, that, that would be that would be odd. No, they're very good people, both of them, mm. and I wish them well. Tell us, tell us more of your story. Your your further interactions. Eventually, you move out here. How does that happen? I moved out here um, in May of 2002, um, thinking that I was going to be riding this like big wave that dog made, and um, got an agent. That was my first. His face is becoming forlorn. (laughs) My started to look, brother. (laughs) That was my first experience with a Hollywood agent, and this is a name I'm not going to drop. Um, It was it was a nightmare. A nightmare. Like if the like, acquisition or the stuff he would talk to you about. What was the nightmare? Oh, just just he as a person. Okay. So oh, the yeah, interaction was, with him. It was like swimming with sharks material. Like oh man. It was like I love that he, movie. He it's a great movie. He was <laughs> he was one of the worst people I've ever met in my entire life. Outstanding. And and I would just go there and he would, you know. He would chastise his assistant in front of me, just like completely embarrass his assistant in front of Hollywood me. Hollywood power nonsense. Oh, I yeah, it was just it was it was really bad. He got me uh, a, a job writing for Mike's Hard Lemonade, and that produced some cash, and uh, and that was enough cash to stay out here and, and keep writing, and uh, and I eventually ditched him, and I've just been writing ever since, and stockpiling. And then I ended up getting married, having a couple boys, and I started writing less. <laughs> and then I started just doing other jobs, like little freelance writing jobs. The Tom Green Show is happening now, and uh, that's what's going on. You you mentioned agencies and working with agents earlier. Yeah. You know yeah. that's something we haven't talked about on this podcast. Yeah. And so there's definitely room to grow uh, in any direction that the podcast could go. Um, you know we maybe have uh, we've got a, a very similar taste in in what we want out of this podcast. There's a lot of really good stories, and as long as you're you know having a good time and being you and talking to us about stuff that nobody's going to hear anywhere else, I think we're doing our job. Like I, as a group, I agree. Yeah. I agree, one hundred percent. So you were the struggling writer in Los Angeles, <laughs> yeah. writing spec scripts for this and that. Tell us about that process, Ken. Is that is like the last five minutes being taken out, and we're just going to go right to that, aren't we? If it's you're terrible, gonna, you're going to play that little music just, interlude. This is what <laughs> the editing process is for. And then you're going to come back to that. This man has us down. Right, I know exactly what you're going to do. We're going to talk later about perhaps you doing some podcasting work. You're going to sit here and post, and you're going to be like, Oh, uh, this is where we start talking about like what we want him to talk about, and we don't want to hear this on the podcast. Let's do the music here. <laughs> we edit for time sometimes, <laughs> and we'll see uh, how much material we suck at of you. <laughs> and we're down to it. You understand? You understand, Mister? This is a very different dynamic for you guys because the couple podcasts that I listened to a bit of, it seemed like you knew the guest really well, and you were the interjector. It's back and forth. We've actually we've aimed pretty like fifty fifty thus far. Mm-hmm. I've out of the twenty five shows we've done, I think like twelve of them have been people that I knew. Maybe like thirteen have been people you knew. Whatever. So we've been actually it's it's been been pretty tight, pretty close. Okay. I would imagine when you went back to New York, 
you had quite a few of those All shows. All six in New York were were Brian people. That's we're true. B mob. Um, yeah. But like the, we're be. doing one this afternoon that is a guy that he knows that I've never met. So okay. he'll, he will lead that interview. So you'll be the quiet one. I'll oh, be the one going. That's funny. It's, it's also about like you know um, you guys uh, you guys know each other and you guys obviously know all about Olive Juice and yeah. what you had to go through. So you guys already have this kind of trauma bond that's already set up. So me, I get to kick back and just enjoy. It's funny. It's yeah. like I feel like I'm on the trailer with him, 1999, right now. I, I feel like it, that's a cool thing when you know you bond with someone. He literally, I'm going to be completely honest with you right now. Brian was my happiness oasis. On the set of Olive Juice. What? Yeah. First off, everyone else who's listening is going, Brian was a happiness oasis. (laughs) What is this? (laughs) This is true. I was a young man. I was different back then. It was, you know, it was, you know, it was my first film. So it was, it was, there was part of me that was like, oh, this is like the coolest thing ever. But it was stressful as hell. And there were moments when I was like, what am I doing? And it was all location shooting. We didn't have any studio time. So it was like 22, 23 days of all location shoots and a lot of it outside. There were days when he was just sitting at the table on the trailer and I would just come in and sit on the other side of the table and go, what's up, Brian? And I would just talk to him for about 10 minutes and I'd decompress and I'd leave the trailer and go back to doing whatever we were doing. And we would bond over Billy Joel and Stone Temple Pilots. And One of my fondest memories is you and I, after a shoot one night, I think you were like driving the RV back to where they get stored each night. Right. And you and I were just blasting STP and just singing oh. along and banging our heads. Oh. And it was just, it was like- We had our shirts we on. We had a long day on the highway. This was like, it was all driving shots one day. So like all the RVs were parked on this highway. Yep. It wasn't like today. I don't know if I'd say it was a tough shoot, but it was a tough shoot for then. For my what my experience level was, for everybody right. else's experience level was. I, you know, today, it, yes, it would be a little simpler than some stuff I've done since then. But it was, it was hard being you know outdoors in. It was December, so it wasn't raining very much right. in Orlando. But the message, the the lesson I learned on that film as a first time director was I didn't speak up enough, and I. You know, there were there were times when I was just intimidated by the fact that, you know, my my twin friends Alex and Nick had the funding come through their family, and and I just didn't want to. There were times when I wanted to make my creative voice heard, and I just shut up, and I and I kick myself in retrospect going back there and thinking about it because there were things that we lost, and I I feel like if I just fought a harder battle, I would have won them, but. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, how far do you go uh, if you're Francis Ford Coppola, you know, and right. you've got to hold this, this, all this. But he's also been fired off the same jobs for having that same artistic integrity, too. So yeah, it's, it, it, it just felt like everything was going to be a 2-1 vote. And, and I was just like, it was that kind of situation. So I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to get into it. I didn't want to create any, you know, controversy. Anyway, that's, that was part of the stress I was experiencing. Trying to be a decent guy. I was trying to be a decent guy, but you know, we're, the good thing is, the happy ending is, we're all friends. We all still talk, yeah. and you know, we we had a c- couple rough moments there in between, but we're all good now. But it was a joy to walk into a, a blockbuster years later <laughs> and see it in the uh, you know the the, the four dollar bin or whatever it was Dude, and remember, buy my copy. I, I was so happy walking into an, a blockbuster, which I miss dearly. I, can I just say that one of one of my favorite things to do was to go into a Blockbuster on new release day Tuesday and walk the new releases wall. Especially if you had like a girl like you were dating or whatever and you, it was just a thing to do. 
stop by, see a movie, take it home, watch a movie. Yeah, it was always much more fun than just sitting on your couch and scrolling through what's streaming. And just I just miss it. Yeah, yeah. But I spent a lot juice, of time at video stores. There was that day when Olive Juice, remember the little cardboard strips that they had up? Uh, the new releases coming soon, and they just slid out these long cardboard strips. Olive Juice was one of those cardboard strips. I'm like, are you kidding me? It didn't go to a single theater anywhere, and it's on a cardboard strip. We saw it in a theater, though, which was so cool, because nobody does that anymore. They like You guys rented out a theater, mm-hmm. and we had a little premiere party for the cast and crew, which was very, very cool. It was the day before I left Orlando. It was a, it was a, yeah. We we spent some money on the on the theater. That was awesome. We I, we had and some a lot money. of fans showed up because of the Backstreet Boys. I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't think it was for you know you and me. I think it was more for AJ McLean and yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it was a little chaos outside, and we were like, we're Olive Juice crew. We get to go in the party at Latitude. For well, that too. But I mean, like that day going into the theater. Yeah. There were people outside who were like, let us in. And we were like, VIP. Go away. We're VIPs. It was a good time. Aren't you glad I took you all the way back to Olive Juice? Now we feel like we've completely. And it was a good memory there, too, because me and the gaffer and the grip all sat together in the theater Ching. and like tore the film apart. The, Ching? Yeah. And, um, yeah, the names are escaping me. I should have re- I I freshened up on that before this, but yeah, we like it was like the most experienced crew sat together and we were like, oh, boom mic in the shot. Oh, there's a reflection on the windshield. Did we have a boom mic uh, in the shot? Yeah, there was a couple of that kind of thing. And we were like, oh, this was that nasty day. Oh, that came out well. I Thank thought God. we got through with the It boom, was great. We did our own no little commentary the whole time. It was, it was a good moment for us. I'm glad you guys had that little powwow. Sometimes you need a little mystery science street theater. And then there was a good party right? afterwards, too. Yeah. I don't remember where that was. It was downtown somewhere. Every bad film deserves a good party. Yeah. <laughs> It was good. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, it was. A, it was a very good party. It was like all the people that hated each other from shooting, like reconnected at the party, which yeah. was cool. So there was a lot of like going in, like, "Oh man, I hope so and so isn't here." But everybody came, and then there was nothing but love, and whole new rivalries broke out. So that was good. That was that was nice. <laughs> it's where my uh, DJ connections paid off. Indeed, that's the the bar <laughs> for the party. So you want to talk about writing? Talk, yeah, take us to your yeah. writing process. Uh, well, and the pitfalls, the possibilities, the promise. You got another P word in there? The premise. The pontification. Oh, that's good. Uh, my writing process is, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are screenwriters. And they, to this day, give me the biggest hard time about the way I write. And it drives them all crazy. Is that... I don't outline. I, I rely on memory. <laughs> this is going to sound funny to you, but I, I really, really do. It's, it's I, I work through a lot with the idea in my mind of just if I'm driving, showering. Like showering is probably my most productive place create, creative-wise. And You need a dry erase board in there or something. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like just, just make my whole one entire tile wall just a giant waterproof dry erase board. And just write down your crazy notes. That's interesting, Brian. Pyramid, pickle, that naked woman. Very easily turn into the inside. What did he mean by this? Inside of, a, of the cell of an insane asylum. Indeed. Yeah. And, what? <laughs> <laughs> and from, from like, why? We just went crazy there for a moment. Um, I, I'll work through it that way, and I'll, co- I'll come up with my idea. 
and I'll work through the beginning. And then before I sit down the right, I, I try to know my ending. Always want to know my ending. And I need my two plot points to hit in the right spots. And then I sit down and go. And I'll just go. And, and as, I, as I come back to it, like the next night, if I get five pages done or, or two pages done or one page done, whatever it is, I'll read through it, edit, and then not start writing on the next page until I, I go through what I wrote the day before and I just hmm. edit as I go. And, and I, I've written scripts very quickly like that. It's just, uh, it's like I, I have friends that outline for years. I'm like, go to draft. Go to draft. <laughs> Write some dialogue. <laughs> Real quick, these two uh, plot points, are these like breaking into two, breaking into three? Something yeah. to get you from beginning yeah, to Yeah, yeah, you know, you I, the old, I come from the old Sid Field school of thoughts. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't read Save the Cat, so I, I, I relied on, on screenplay by Sid Field. That, that was the book of the day when I wrote. Blake Snyder, yeah. Save the Cat, right. Save the Cat Re- Returns or whatever. He's, I didn't read those, he, though. He's, he's dead now. That guy died. He did? Yeah. Bummer. But it's, I mean, I read both Sid Field and Save the Cat. When did Blake Snyder die? Uh, two years ago. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. See, if I, I read the book, I probably would have known more about Blake Snyder. Uh, I, I anyway, don't. it's just it, would, it probably wouldn't fit to your style anyway. But maybe. I mean, he organizes it in a slightly different it's, fashion. It's, from what I heard, it's not it's not that too dissimilar. It, yeah. It's it's um, you know, it's just your first plot points. You know, twenty to thirty pages in, the closer to twenty, the better usually, and and. Um, and then usually about the same from the ending is when you want to kind of change the course a little bit, and, and that's your second plot point. A lot of what, what uh, his premise is based on is being able to categorize a script to make sure that if it is a horror movie that fits under these circumstances, it's most likely a monster in the house, which fits under you know, two basic rules. Um, you have, a, have to have a house, which could be any confined, confined space. Right. You have to have a monster, and you can't get out of the house. Like that's, you know, if there's no escape, then that's the monster in the house. But it could be like one of these other 12 categories. Those first two are really obvious, though. <laughs> you got to have, have a monster in the house. house. You have to have a monster um, in the house. But like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OK, got it, got it, got it. But uh, a lot of the other ones are like um, uh, it can be simple breakdowns of like buddy pictures or any of these other. Yeah. Um, like you know, like I said, that he's was all about the beat premise. sheet, though, right? He, he's more so, of a beat yeah. sheet guy. But making sure that, yeah, I guess at that point, you know, like you, if your monster, if your movie fits into one of these categories, it's probably if it's this one, it's probably going to have these specific beats mm-hmm. as you were describing. Whereas yeah. yours is different in that, like you, you start with the beginning, you start with the end, you just try and find a couple points, and then you're you're instead of like getting an outline, you're just taking a page, do your redrafts page do the redrafts of what you did or you know editorialize as you go instead of like i don't get too in depth with the rereading it i just kind of you know i just kind of breeze over it and just kind of go well that sounds pretty good it's i i didn't get a little too chatty there that's good let's time to proceed let's keep going yeah and i just keep moving um you know i've had friends that are like go go get yourself some multicolored index cards and a bulletin board and write down you know the different acts under different colors and 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 i try that i'm like this sucks. I loved watching your face as you described that. This, like, it was like, uh, it was like, you know, creative waterboarding to me. I, I didn't like <laughs> it at all. And, and I just ended up sitting down and running, going the draft. I've thrown some good instrumental music in my headphones and sit down in a coffee shop and go. And that's the way I like to write. Oh my God, those people at Starbucks are actually writing things? 
Right. They're not all hacks, Brian. <laughs> there are guys at Starbucks who I used to see, I wrote very many scripts in Starbucks and I, I've had people come up to me and just slip me a card and go, I'm a script doctor. And I'm like, oh, really? And then they'd be like, yeah, you know, whatever you're working on, I can help you sell it. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I'll take, I, I must have three or four cards at home of people who would approach me and, you know, just assume that everyone sitting in the coffee shop, as cliche as it is, not everyone's a I'm hack. writing an email to my grandmother, but thank you for your... <laughs> right, yeah, right. I just happen to have certain parts of it centered. It looks like dialogue, but it's not. I'm uh, actually watching YouTube at the moment, but uh, I'll right, take your card. Right. But, uh, you know, there's, you know, I am a cliche. Yeah, I, I, I write in coffee shops. Can't write at home. Can't write at home. There's a couch. Well, not now because you got the kids. Well, definitely not now because I have the kids. But I, there's a couch. There's a TV. Even before the kids, it was, there were too many distractions. I'd much rather be able to like take a break, sit back in my chair, people watch for a few minutes. And you'll even like hear someone say something that solves a puzzle for you or you're looking for a way to say something and you just eavesdrop on a conversation. You're like, oh, well, guess what? You're not, you're not signing a release. I'm taking that, putting that right in my script. <laughs> That's happened several times. It's just, it's a better process for me to get out of the house. The house is no bueno. So tell us about your work on the Tom Green show. How did that come about? Are you are you going to ask everything like it's a pageant question? <laughs> <laughs> tell I'm us a, about your talents again. <laughs> uh, <me laughs> if anything, I'm making fun of of how those questions usually get asked. Uh, I've been working with Tom for about a year and a half now, and uh, the way I got to meet Tom was through podcasting. Uh, my buddy and I were doing a podcast called Two Guys and a Mic. Uh, did a little over 100 episodes. I'm not sure exactly. 158. Is it 158? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Because there's more than one Two Guys and a Mic on, on iTunes. You no, sure? I listened to your final com- episode. It was episode 158. Wow. So unless you guys screwed up the numbering at some point, it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, just, we just went from Which 90 not, to, to you know, 150. Possibility, I but. think you could just change it in the name. Instead of uh, episode 103, it's now 100, episode 158. <laughs> Well, we, we want to talk about all about your podcasting. So now you have a choice. We've reached a fork in the road. Which would you like to? Which Which would you like to talk we about? We talk first? about podcasting and 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 you know, uh, gracefully parlay in the Tom Green because you did like. 158 episodes. We're on 25, and I'm already okay. ready to quit. Uh, <laughs> well, well, you got the digs. You got all the right equipment. You guys are doing fine. I've listened to a few of your podcasts. You're doing fine. We can't get anyone to listen. That's that's where social media comes in. And that's not entirely true, but um, you know we are getting we're getting we're getting a, a, a lot of growth. But you know it's not uh, if you compare how certain podcasts have taken off. Um, definitely, like Matt's has like six hundred thousand listeners. Do you know what your your peak number was at any point? The- uh, we it was really strange. It was like we we found a trick in the tags. Like we, you know, you, you tag some, like the tag thing, you tags, you tag some hot words in there and it instantly spikes your listenership. Um, you know, like if you do a show about a whole show about cinematography and merchant ivory films, uh, uh, cinematography of merchant ivory films and in your tag list somewhere, just put boobs 
<laughs> that is, that we have not gone that route yet. That's yeah. true. We have not. They, we've that, forgotten that. That is referred to as uh, black hat uh, internet trickery. Tri- oh. oh yeah, it'll be like wow, there's so many people listening, and then you go back and you see Brian snuck in the word nudity. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gone down that route yet, but that's an important important tip. So, I remember we did one show where we were talking. I, I forget who the girl was, but her name was slightly close to an adult film star's name, and we, we had like a very very high number, abnormally high, and we could not believe it. And and we figured it out that it was the tag and of this girl's name, and people thought it was this other girl, and it wasn't. So yeah, people the tags somehow work. We did the podcast a long time out of my buddy's bedroom. Spare bedroom. Not his bedroom. A spare bedroom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you, want, you, you want to make sure that that, that line is drawn because you you're very nervous about that. That's, no, this was... It this, wasn't his bedroom. He didn't sleep there It was anything. his spare bedroom. And it, this is a good friend of mine from Orlando. He was the program director at Real Radio 104.1 in Orlando. Oh, yeah. He gave me my first radio job in 97... 96, somewhere around there. Monsters of the Midday. Oh, yeah. Jim Phillips <laughs> was in Olive Juice, by the way. Um, and, <laughs> really? so was, and so was Otto. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Um, so he moved out here, and then I came out here, and, and we were just doing different jobs, and, and he was getting stressed out with his gig, and I was getting stressed out with my gig, and I was just like, let's get together, drink some beers, and do a podcast. Let's do a podcast. He had like, Mint equipment. I'm not knocking your equipment, but he had like this room was set up, the spare bedroom. That's why I say it wasn't his main bedroom. He had it set up. And we would sit in there and, and we would we open the mic the first time and before we knew it, we were like forty five minutes in. Like, you know, we were we still had one beer in our hand. We were forty five minutes in, we're like, Oh, this is They were allowed to drink fun. and curse. And I am just. And they the had stri- fun. They, I am just the strictest. I heard most that tyrant, tyrant-like ruler of podcasting land. I heard. I heard that. I got frisked on the way in. I checked my jersey badge at the door. No cursing. <laughs> I, had a, I sent him the advisory before the show started. Well, all I said to you was, "Do you, do you want me to bring a six pack or something?" Because I, I wasn't like you made me feel like you made me feel bad when you emailed me back. Like, no, it's semi professional, no. bro. <laughs> you, know, you made me feel I like tra- I, I, I was really when I was writing that email. I was like, he's not going to take this the right way. Like, how do I write this in such a way that it makes sense? Well, but email, email, and texting suck because you can't you can't translate there's no tone. context. There's yeah. no tone. And but I read that email. I'm like, I sat down in my chair. I'm like. He thinks I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think you're an alcoholic, but that has nothing to do with this. I love my beer. I love beer. <laughs> the truth is, I would love to have that podcast, but uh, we, you know, with a lot of our guests, you know, we can't. You know, it's just not that format. A lot of our guests have been over the age of eighty, and yeah, they can't you know, drink beer. Old school, you know, Academy Award winning types. Well, that's we're that's, trying to be that's professional. That's what you're trying. That's what you're. It's not that an eighty year old, uh, an octogenarian, cannot have a, a a nice IPA. What you're saying <laughs> is that you don't want to offer a beer to a potential boss, a potential benefactor, <laughs> if you will, or even just a referral to a future boss. Wow, octogenarian. <laughs> no, uh, well, we start. So we started doing the podcast in there. We we loved it. We we were into it. And then it just became a part of figuring out when we could do it because we both had families. I had a job. I, you know, 
I was also trying to write at the same time. And uh, so... But we, you guys took a lot of steps that we haven't taken. So I'm curious, because you guys like are what? doing it live, right? We did a couple live shows. We did... Um, you had phone... You had people that were able to call in. We haven't figured out yet. We don't have the technology to call people calling in. Um, you'll get, you'll and get you are on a network. We haven't, we haven't figured out how to get on a network yet. Well, that, you just, you know, there are so many networks out there. You just need to, you know, I would just say. From the start, were you on a network? No, 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 no. So you, you had built up to it. No, we, we lucked into a lot of it. A lot of it had to do with Rich's connections and radio. And, and we, you know, we were doing it from his bedroom for a long time. And then a, a buddy of his started the Toad Hop Network. And then we went from doing it in his bedroom to one of those, um, you know, those office areas where like office buildings that re- everyone rents the office space. Of course. So they rented two office spaces and that became Toad Hop Network. So they had a studio, they had a little call screening area and we started doing our show from there. Uh, somewhere in there, we did shows from the Lovitz at City Walk mm-hmm. because they had the Toad Hop Network right, there for a while. That. And then we ended up going over the hill and doing a couple shows uh, from there. But we had some interesting shows in his spare bedroom. We got Ileana Douglas to drive out on a, a miserably awful rainy day. She drove all the way out to uh, West Hills and did our podcast. She opened the door. <laughs> we were like, hi, Ileana, come on in to this house. And she was like, okay. She had her assistant with her. And she's like, walks in. We have, we have a little. Please don't we, let me get killed. We sit up the little, <laughs> we sit up the little kitchen table with some snacks and a couple bottles of water. Like we kind of did our own little green room in the kitchen. And we, she sat down and she was sitting there. We talked for a little bit and they're like, well, we'll get ready to go back and do it. And she goes, well, where is the studio? And we're like, oh, it's long, down at the end of that hallway <laughs> to the left. She, in a bedroom, in she, one of the she bedrooms. She was hoping, like, out back, we've built a modern studio in our garage. <laughs> yeah. But she ended up having a very, very good time. She ended up, you know, going through his, uh, she walked in, so like, oddly walked into his, like, 13-year-old son's bedroom and, like, started, like, picking up odd toys. And she did this, like, trick. Like, she, she hid a rubber snake down her pants and came back into the room and, like, shook her leg. And the rubber snake came out. And she started freaking out. We're like, oh, my God, Ileana's losing it. But she was a pretty interesting person. Like, you'll, there's a photo of us with her, and we're all holding super soakers. So she ended up having a good time. But she was a little freaked out when she first got there. She didn't know what was going on. But uh, that's where my, like, the, the, my, my, booking, my booking savvy started, I guess. Getting, calling up people and bugging them to drive out to West Hills. But um, I saw that you brought a water because you're a professional and you come having had. But we would have offered you a water. We have them and everything. I just want you to know. Oh, I, I, I just want you to know our operation is like we have water. This was not. I did not bring this along thinking that this was a low budget crap operation. You brought that because you're a professional and you come having had. That's what I read from that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I read from it. Yeah. Uh, the the Tom Green show came out of the podcasting. We got so busy, uh, Rich and I, that we could not keep doing the podcast. He ended up going to be. Um, the head of CBS Digital, which CBS was going to be their, um, it was their podcast network called Podcast One. And, which could potentially be a connection for you. We can talk after the show. Um, Cinematic Community, Immunity. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a bit confused though. I have to to interrupt real fast. Your Twitter handle 
is not immunity. Please explain. Cinematic immunity was taken. taken, Yeah. And cinematicimmunity.com was taken. Cinematic immunity on Facebook was taken. How about cinematic? And nobody touches them. That's the thing that's a killer. It's like they're not even active accounts anywhere. Like people started Mm -hmm. a cinematic immunity something and then it hasn't been touched since 1997. Oh, yeah. That's a killer. I, I, I blog and there's a, there's a Twitter handle that I want called my BS life. Cause I have two boys at home and I blog about being a stay at home dad and, and their names are Ben and Sam BS, my BS life. And she hasn't touched it since May of 2009. That's five years. Get, you, you, yeah. you have to, what do you think? Someone's going to like come offer you $500,000 for your, my BS life Twitter handle. No, that's not going to happen. Just get rid of the account, please. There's got to be a statute of limitations on that. I know at a certain point, like they will offer it to people who are actively using that name. Like, Hey, do you really want this name? Uh, it's, I've heard and that we even tried before. to contact the guy who had cinematicimmunity.com or ci.com or something. Mm, the lovely fellow at uh, cinematicimmunity.com yeah. didn't return our best my friend call, who has not returned okay. our uh, our inquiries as to have why you, he hasn't touched it in ten you years. Checked other things like immunity podcasts, cinematic underscore immunity, or well, that's what you, we did. Well, that's what we ended up with. Cine immunity cast or whatever it was like we it, that's our email okay. Um, so yeah, we, we did try multiple variations. So you just took off the cinematic I podcast kind of a thing. Correct. Uh, that's correct. Uh, M dash unity or cinematic immunity is what it was. Yeah, c- cinematic M immunity. It's, you know, you gotta yeah. play these nonsense games. Yes. We, we, we would love to have named it something logical. That's okay. And I would much rather the website be, you know, ci.com or something small. It's a lot to type in like cinematic immunity cast. Yeah, and you don't type like that either. That's well, not... I try to, yes, this is radio and they can't if see what I'm doing, this, but I'm flapping this, my hands. You'll hit too many keys at once. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not all professional writers. Sorry. I'm a hunt and pecker. So I, you know, I, I, Actually, I, can, I bet I, I type get, twice as fast as you do, but that's I can get a pretty fast at hunting and pecking. I'm, I'm pretty fast at it. Once I get rolling, I have had people. Stop and watch me. I was a cha- I was a, I was a chat room kid when when, yeah. when CompuServe first started in AOL. So that really sped up because you were trying to get yeah. it out there as fast as possible. I was thinking about girls in typing class. I, I did not get into typing class at all. But anyway, Tom Green. <laughs> she- well, after all this, why even talk about it? That, that, no, it's, it's actually, it? it's actually what I'm doing now professionally. It's actually a lot of fun. And, it's, and um, this is a new job because we've never talked to it. What is your exact title? Talent producer? Talent? Uh, you know what? There are, are many things I do. And, you know, I'm just going to go out and say it, that I should probably have an associate producer credit. <laughs> mm. uh, but I. Uh, but it's in like the talent coordinator vein, AP vein. Oh, yeah. No, in the very beginning, they had me booking, clip licensing coordinating the talent, getting the talent there. I was doing so many things. But we've never talked to anyone who does any of those things. So feel free to break them down and give us a fun story about it. Booking, booking is just getting over your fear of a cold call and calling people and trying to sell the show the best you can. And, you know, we ran into some, you know, you know, when you think of Tom Green, you think of him humping a dead moose. You think of him drinking, you know, cow milk out of another. And, 
So I, I think about that bit with the pizza where he would show up and make the pizza on the guy's oh, yeah. doorstep. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes. Oh no, that's right. That's when he fo- when he followed the, the other pizza box guy. Said, Do you want the uh, pepperoni? Right. He followed another pizza guy Brilliant. and offered a better deal. That's right. And he walked up behind the pizza. What guy. was it? Ten dollars? I'll give you eight dollars and I'll make your pizza right here in front of you. <laughs> Brilliant bit. Brilliant. Uh, so uh, you know, people had that Tom Green in their head. So I I had to go and call them and say, look, you know, this is. This is different. He's doing something very, very, very cool. This is a new Tom Green, a much more subdued, I guess you could say. He's trying to do like this, uh, I shouldn't say trying because he's succeeding at it, doing this Tom Snyder, late, late show, Charlie Rose type of thing. And it's actually turning out to be quite cool. And and people are digging it. And I started, the way that happened was, I was starting to say it before we got, you know, humorously side railed again. Um, and another thing, let's talk about no. Rich went, went to work for Podcast One for CBS Digital. He said to me, "Are you a Tom Green fan?" I said, "Yeah." He he was like, "He's starting a podcast. You want to book his guest for him?" This was January of 2013, and I was like, "Sure." So I ended up meeting with Tom. We started doing a podcast. I was booking guests for him. So his podcast started in the exact same studio that we were doing two guys and a mic in at the Toad Hop Network. Then right around July or August, he basically stopped calling me. And I was like, wait, where are we? is the podcast over? And I would call. I wouldn't get a call back. And, and here they had something brewing. They just couldn't tell me yet. And eventually, he and his uh, manager, a guy named John Schneider, the executive producer on the show, and Rob Schneider's brother, uh, called me and asked me to go get some coffee. And they told me about this show on Access TV that they were going to start doing. And asked me if I wanted to keep booking for them. I'm like, yeah. So I started doing it in September of 2013. And we're already at like, we're 27 shows in, already into our third set of shows. Halfway through our third set of shows. Nice. And, uh, but I would, they had me doing way too much in the beginning. And then they, they pulled back on my duties. So now I'm just pretty much coordinating talent, clip licensing, um, and all of that stuff. Clip licensing is just contacting people, studios, their clip licensing department, and trying to get clearances in a lot oh, of. Oh yeah, uh, and everyone's got their different price, and everyone's got their different, you know, uh, parameters that they want to follow. And and I've heard prices from five hundred dollars to fifteen grand to use stuff up to a minute of content. And what we, kind of content are you trying to license? Well, what I've learned is that if, you know, if a show's current, it's, you get the clip because it's considered promotional, no matter what. Even if it's not out yet, if it's, if it's just still on the air, like I just got, I spent the whole morning uh, getting Weird Al videos secured. And, and it's just, it's, if a show's already on the air, then you have promotional use. So you get it. If you're trying to get something old, that's when they, they hit you with a licensing fee. Mm-hmm. So they're like, uh, I tried to, we had Dana Carvey on the show recently and we wanted, to, we just wanted to get 30 seconds of anything from SNL. Could have been Hans and Franz, could have been church lady, could have been him doing Carson, anything. 15 grand. Well, mm-hmm. 15 grand. We're like, oh, we don't. Yeah, 15 grand for chopping broccoli? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> that's part, mostly our entire season budget. We don't have a budget on the show. Like we, I mean, it's a very, very small budget. So we don't, we can't get the clip. We don't use the clip. But so you had to get that clip from Clean Slate or? 
I'm sorry. Oh, that was this movie, Clean Slate. Funny reference. Um, or what was the Master of Disguise? Wasn't that Dana uh, Carvey yeah, as well? Yeah, I didn't see that one. I remember Clean Slate, but yeah, Master of Disguise was that too. He's... Yeah, but then there are, there are people who are just like, you know, if you want an old TV show, I've had people email me from vacation and just say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and use it. Give us a courtesy credit. And then like, the, comp- the big name company right next door wants five grand. I'm like, what? What's going on? I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's an no interesting, it's an interesting it. game. Yeah. Sometimes you hit a Tom Green fan and they're like, oh, yeah, sure. And other times. Was the Weird Al stuff difficult? I, I would think no, what, he's trying to pimp the eight he, videos right this second on oh, everywhere. On I, love that he, I love that he's back. Weird Al. I love that he's back. But he said this is his you last uh, album, did he not? Did he say that? I th- yeah, that's uh, that's that's rough. Well, Although who would have thought thirty years ago he was going to survive? But it's going to be his biggest hit. I, I think it's going to be his the, biggest uh, hit. The yeah. tacky. tacky to the happy. The oh, did you watch the rest of them though? I I've watched uh, like three of them now. Handy. I think they're at five. I should say that Weird Al is our guest on Tom Green Live this Thursday on Access TV. Well, by the time this episode <laughs> comes out, that will have been two months ago. Damn it! But <laughs> damn it. This, this show will happen in, like, September. Oh, two months ago. <laughs> exactly. Weird Al Yankovic was on Tom Green Live, and it was awesome. It was awesome, wasn't it? Oh, my God. But you can probably find it in the archives. Mm-hmm. At- and if you want a clip of it, it's going to cost <laughs> $2,000. Like I think they sell their episodes or whatever. You'll, you'll be able to get it somewhere. Actually, I was just talking about giving you a chance to plug the site. Uh, there, I mean, uh, there's TomGreen.com, but I have other sites to get the show. There there really isn't a specific one right now. What was it, Access? Access TV. It's Access Mark Cuban's TV. network. Yeah. It's Mark Cuban's network. But that's what I do for Tom. He's an interesting fellow. He's a good guy. Is he funny when he is not working? Uh, you know, that's he's, he, he's fairly serious. He's fairly serious. He's a quiet guy. Um, he's... It makes it challenging at times to like navigate your way through a conversation with him because he's sometimes that quiet and you don't know, you're trying to figure out what he's thinking and and you're just, you don't, it's tough to gauge. Isn't he Canadian? He is Canadian. It seems to be a Canadian thing where like. Is it? I don't know. Is that a common Canadian camera? That's what I've found. Really? Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's a, he's he's a fairly you know he, he's not always on that's for sure he's not like Robin Williams you know like where he's doing impressions all the time he's like hey everyone but can't you imagine like Robin Williams like just going to get like a drink at Craft Services mm-hmm. like he's still on and psychotic yeah no probably because okay. he's high but you know um, he's probably still high and, yeah. and psychotic and funny no Tom Tom is uh he takes the show really seriously he does research like I've never seen someone do research before. And that pays off because we've had people walk out of there. We had Dan Rather on the show. It's a tough interview. Yeah, you talk about you guys being afraid to have beer with some cinematographer who's 82. We had Dan Rather doing wild turkey shots with Tom Green. (laughs) Doing wild turkey shots. And then once we got him a couple wild turkey shots, he taught Tom how to chew tobacco on the show. It was one of our best shows. I'll bet. And people are walking out of there saying that it was the best interview they ever had. And I think that's you know that's partly because of Tom. The research the in, he the spends. I think it's because of your booking and your clearances. I think that's a big part no. of it. Tom, Tom is doing a great job. He sits. He spends from Monday to Thursday every day, every day just locked up in a room researching these people. Not just Wikipedia. He finds like the the most odd details, and people are pretty. His websites other by than it. Wikipedia. I guess. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, there are. You can check it's your a local big world. Google. It's a big world. You got to get out, Brian. 
<laughs> well, I can't. I mean, I'm locked in here 24 hours a day. When this guy doesn't have me recording, he's like, blog something. I'm like, all right, I'll blog. How many, how many this pod- guys going to Comic-Con tomorrow? I am leaving for Comic-Con tomorrow. but Brian is a Comic-Con fan? I never would have imagined that. No. It's my first time. I'm very excited. I'm going with the uh, with the with our episode eight bridge. This the Star Trek The Next Generation bridge. Guy found it, had it oh. refurbished on Kickstarter. It's going yeah. to Comic-Con for as a photo op for people. Oh, cool. Have a wonderful time. <laughs> Houston, Houston Huddleston. He's, he's pretty awesome. I, I kid you because I like you, Brian. If I, didn't, if I didn't like you, I would not joke around. I know, with Special you. K. I know. <laughs> to answer your question, though, we, we do a, like a blog on Thursday that tells people what's happening the, next, the following Tuesday, uh-huh. and then we release a show on Tuesday. So they come out every Tuesday. We come out every Tuesday. So you're that far ahead? With we recordings? are. Yeah, you're you're nine shows ahead of today because we do weekly recordings. I might not we, even be alive, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the pro, um, the process has become that we need to do this so that we can continue to work. And if, of course, if uh, if both of us end up on a job, which is very likely, right? Right now, we could take two months off, and the show wouldn't end. Exactly. You would have to. St- so you're stockpiling. Yeah, exactly. And it helped in New York. We did six shows in one week, so that. Really advanced. Right. That's the why I work nights. Since I've lived in LA, I've always had a night job. Yeah, it keeps your days free. My night job used to be cutting this uh, podcast. We hired some editors. Look at you, lovely. It works. It works. Well, I like what you're doing so far. So keep it up. Don't give up. Keep doing it, and uh, I enjoy it. There's an audience. This is the uh, community for it. We'll find them eventually. Yeah, I know a lot of them are in New Orleans right now. <laughs> they, they're in but New no. Orleans and Georgia, where all the work is. Yeah, that's, I actually have a buddy who is a, a stuntman, and he's got a, a one-year-old daughter, and he literally has been in New Orleans like eight of the last ten months. Well, thanks for coming by, Ken. There's that voice. <laughs> we appreciate it. I love it. That voice is going to haunt my dreams. That's, the voice of that's my silky smooth radio voice. And it's either going to haunt my dreams or make my dreams. <laughs> I'm not sure which I'm voting for or hoping for. (laughs) Thanks, Ken. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Thanks for coming uh, out. I'm flattered that you had me. Thank you. Well, that was Ken Hastings. I think we're going to lip sync our exit out of this. Ready? Here we go. No, we should probably... We should probably say words. We should probably tell people things. I have been. Didn't you hear? Well, you should. I don't, I don't think you can lip sync it, though. This is radio. Uh, fine. Okay. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you next week on Cinematic Community. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Ken Hastings. We'll be back to do it again next week. Make sure to catch us on all of the social networks that are out there. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And uh, check in with us and uh, email us, if you will, immunity at cinematiccommunitycast.com. Thanks to all the great support that we've been getting out there from all the good people. Spread the word, y'all. Spread the word. Spread the word.